0: Good morning, my name is Derek. It's a pleasure to be here with you this morning. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Bayou City Fellowship. Uh, if you're a guest with us, uh, welcome. Uh, you need to know one really little little uh, thing. We are a simple, simple church. We're not a big program church. We're not end up doing a bunch of hubbub entertainment. Like, we're a simple church. We're about Jesus. And Jesus was about the Father's business, and he did that in the power of the Spirit. And so that's what we are about. So if you're a guest, literally, we don't really... Like, we want you to be, like, this is a great atmosphere, yet great, but we want you to come in contact with the living God today. If you didn't do that today, then all this is just for naught. Like, we want to be gathered around the presence of God because we believe he's here, and then he wants to move and speak and, and lead us. Um, before I start, I just want to honor my mom. She's here today uh, for the first time at Bayou City Fellowship. Thank you, Mom. Yeah. And, and I'm going to ask you guys a favor since my mom here. If I make a joke, will you please laugh? Like, that would be really helpful. Really, really helpful, so she thinks I'm doing, doing a good job. Uh, well, today we're starting a new series. Uh, it's called Fields. Uh, it's a two-week series today, and, and next week it's going to be Fields. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to talk a little bit before we get there, so kind of put your place marker in there. Uh, we're talking about Fields And we're specifically uh, coming around a a verse in John chapter 4 that we're going to have on the screen. So if you're in Matthew, stay there. John chapter 4 is going to be on the screen in front of you. Verse 35, it says, do not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. The fields are white for harvest. Now, he says, don't delay, he's telling his disciples, don't put off what I'm doing right now. He said, no, the harvest is actually already here, and it's happening in your field. So get your eyes off of yourself, your circumstances, everything that's me, Derek, get them up, and you'll see that there's a harvest happening all around you, and I want you to be part of that. Now, that harvest that he's talking about, that that is where we're seeing men and women that are destined to death come into the kingdom of light. Where we're seeing people that are separated from God through the blood, life, death, resurrection of Jesus come from death into life like we celebrated here today. That's what the harvest looks like. It's when people see Jesus, his glory, his holiness and say, I trust him. That's the harvest. And what Jesus tells his disciples is get your eyes up on your field. Because the harvest is all around you. And so as we gather these two weeks, we want to frame up that that Sunday is great. And we always want to have a a great, lively day here. But Sunday is not the end of our faith. It's really the beginning of our faith. Like, if we're not doing what we say we're doing, what we're singing about Monday through Saturday, we're a terrible witness. And who would want to be part of that? Because this is really a lame gig if it's not about the living God, right? Like, it is, if you're being honest. Like, I could figure out a lot of things I could go do If God really isn't God. And and so this this series is saying, what is your field? Now now here's the answer to that. Your field is your area of influence. It's the circle of influence, the sphere of influence that you have in your life. It's all those people that you come across on a day-to-day basis. So for sure, your sphere of influence includes your family. They're part of your field. It, It includes your friends, part of your field. It includes your neighbors, even the neighbors that don't mow their lawn and you feel like you got to go over there and mow them. It includes those neighbors. It includes your coworkers. It includes when you go to Starbucks and you order from the barista, that barista has now come into part of your field. It's whoever you come across and you have a contact with. That is your field. And so we need to say, like, okay, I, I know I have this it's, it's everybody I come in contract. it's where I have influence, whether that's at work, at home, with friends, with family. But, but what I want to tell you is that God has entrusted you with that field. He's given you a field. He hasn't given me your field. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, if, if, it's going to be on the screen here. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us some very specifics about your field. Listen to this. Paul's writing the church of Ephesus. He says, and he, God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or pastors, and the teachers. So he gave church leadership, those in leadership, he gave them to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, now did you hear that? All the leaders in the church, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, we are here to equip the saints. And you're like, man, I don't know if you know what I did last night. I'm not a saint. Well, here's the thing. If you've accepted Christ Jesus, remember, it's not your righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus that was given to you. And so he now calls you a saint. So this is talking about not the pastors, but all of those that have trusted in Christ Jesus for their salvation are the saints. And he says that Derek's job as a pastor is to empower and to equip the church, the saints, to go into the world, into your fields, and to minister God has entrusted you with the field. And here's the thing. As one of your pastors, I need to tell you that you are part of my field. What I'm doing here today, this is what God has planted Derek Harden for this season in life to be here to minister to you. You are part of my field, but your field is not my field. Think about that a second. You right now, like you guys didn't realize, like I'm I'm cultivating my field right now and you happen to be part of that. But when you leave this room and you go to your field, that's not my field. And there's two reasons why I want you to tell that. Number one, your field's not my field as a pastor is because logistically it cannot happen. I mean, just think about every single face. Just look around real quick. I mean, there's probably 600 and some people in this room. Every single one of us representing a different life, a different set of influence, a different place in this world. I cannot be where you are all the time. And some of you are saying, thank you, God. Pastor Curtis, Pastor Robbie, all of our elders, and you put everybody in our leadership position in our church, and you say, there's no way logistically we could get into your field. And so number one reason why your field's not my field is because I can't be there in every place. No, number two reason is why is God has anointed you, has gifted you, and has placed you in a field that he has not placed me. We have all kinds of professions here. We have doctors, we have lawyers, we have bankers, we've got janitors, we've got insurance reps. Listen, all of you have something I don't have. You have a specific education, a specific experience, and specific relationships that Derek can't just helicopter into your field and say, hey, come to Jesus. No, God has placed you there because he trusts you to be in there. He has anointed you. He has anointed Derek to be in your field. And so I want us to make sure that we see that, man, God says the harvest is ripe. It's ready in your field, and he has entrusted you with the field, not your pastors, but you. And today we want to take ownership of the role that God has given us in our field. And number one, we want to make sure that we believe and recognize that God believes in you, or he wouldn't put you in the field that he has put you in. He trusts you enough to have a role in the kingdom of God to be in your field. He wants you to see that. He wants you to recognize. And today we're going to rally around to say, well, what does it look like for little old me to be in a field that God has placed me in? And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5 to shed some light on that. So if you have a Bible, it would be great if you can turn there. We're going to look at verse 13 first. So if you're there, if you're looking up the screen, we're going to have the verse up here. Uh, Just what is the first word that's in your Bible in verse 13? You, a little louder so my mom thinks I'm doing all right. Uh, you, you, okay? Now, I want you to point to the person on your left and say you. you. Okay? Now, go to verse 14. Some of you like that a lot, like pointing to somebody and telling them you. Uh, verse 14, what is the first word that, that is in that? You. you. Now, point to the person on your right and say you too. You. Now, now, when you're reading the Bible, like you need to to, to not just read it with um, abandonment. Like, we need to ask the question, Who was Jesus speaking to when he said you? Because this makes a huge difference, right? Now, if you go back and get the the context of this sermon, this is part of the sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave. Uh, Jesus is talking to a multitude of followers, a multitude of disciples, not just the 12 disciples, but many disciples had followed Jesus, and now he is teaching to them. And so you've got this big group of probably men and women and children just like this. They are gathered around Jesus, and they are listening to him, and he says, you. Now, a disciple is somebody who follows, somebody who studies, somebody who has the desire to be like the person they're following in deed, in action, in thought, in attitude. And as we follow Jesus, it's I want to be like Jesus connected to the Father. See, that's what a disciple is. So we've got all these disciples around Jesus and he's teaching and he says, listen, you, you are the salt of the earth. So when he speaks this, when we read this text today, the you is you. So I want you to point to yourself and say you. So when we read this text today, it's just not just for the disciples that were over 2,000 years ago. Like this is directly applicable to us today. And so we need to come with some desire to say, well, what does that mean to me in my everyday life? Like I can't just chalk this up to, oh, that was some other history. No, this is for you today. And I'm asking that the Holy Spirit would stir something in you to teach you something. And so let's read the text, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If you're taking notes, this is really the theme of the next two weeks. We shine, people see, God saves. We shine, people see, God saves. That's the theme and that's what we're going to see Today, So in the first part, he says, you. Remember, he's talking to the disciples. And today, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you follow him. That's you. You are the salt of the earth. Now, remember, let's go back context a little bit. Uh, there was no refrigerators happening back when the disciples were hearing this message for the first time. So, so one of the roles of salt in this time was a preservative so when I went out and I killed the fattened calf to celebrate when I had that hind quarter left, I couldn't just throw it in the freezer in a baggie and say, hey, let's eat this next month. No, I had to preserve it using salt. So salt was a preservative. Salt was also used uh, in the rituals of offering. Salt had a lot of context. They recognized the value of salt. But, but like us, they recognized that salt was also for seasoning. I mean, how many of you like to go through McDonald's and get a large fry with extra salt? Does anybody else just say an amen in this place? Like, we can repent and and ask for grace after that. But we like our food seasoned, and taste buds are not a 2016 invention. Taste buds have been around since man's been around. And so these men and women, they would have liked their food seasoned with salt. And I believe that from the context, we see this is actually what Jesus was talking about because the second part of verse 1 says, but if salt has lost its taste. Now, and I believe what Jesus is saying here that when people encounter Derek, when they encounter Chris, when they encounter us, that they should see something's different. There's a contrast about who Derek is versus the guy down the street who doesn't know Jesus. That they should taste the kingdom of God when Derek is in the room, when I'm interacting with them, when I'm operating in integrity at my workplace, when I'm loving my wife and my kids. There should be a taste, a twinge of the kingdom that makes them want to be in the kingdom. See, that's what it means to be salt, As I live in the midst of others, and they taste the goodness of God, the love of God, the peace of God in my life, and they say, I want what Derek has. See, this is what Jesus is saying, you already are. Now, what's interesting about salt, though, is salt usually operates behind the scenes. I mean, when you get a steak at one of the great steakhouses, it comes out bone-in filet mignon, extremely rare but amazing. And it rolls out, you're not like, wow, that's the best salt I've ever seen in my life. No, you say that steak is amazing, and you take for granted that it's been seasoned correctly because salt is very important, but it is often unseen. If you don't have it there, you now notice it, but you don't see it because salt is oftentimes behind the scenes. And I think there may be a nugget of truth that we want to grab from Jesus today on how we should operate. Now, now when uh, my wife cooks, she's an amazing cook. And one of the things that she uh, makes us is uh, mashed potatoes and noodles, either chicken or beef. Anybody ever had mashed potatoes and noodles? It's a Yankee thing, I know, so you don't hold that against me, Texans. Uh, It's more like an Amish thing. I'm kind of from an Amish area. Uh, It's so good. You guys know what I'm talking about. Um, Remember when I'm mission here as Ohioans, (laughs) bringing the goods to you. But my wife, she makes amazing chicken uh, noodles with mashed potatoes and, and green bean casserole. And sometimes my wife uh, kind of loses her mind or she gets too busy and she actually asks me to help in participate in making the dinner. She takes a risk, just being honest. Now she mitigates her risk by giving me a job that I really can't really jack up too bad. She says, Hey, will you go and peel the potatoes? Because you know, like, you're peeling potatoes, like, there's not a whole lot you can mess up but hurt myself. And she's like, I'll take that risk nine times out of ten. Because my, my meal is not going to be uh, at, at the will of Derek. And so, you know, sometimes I'm peeling potatoes, and I'm just, like, loving it. I'm like, the baby, look at this peel of potatoes. so good. And then sometimes, though, the, the meal is going so fast, and she's got so many things to do. And we have three little rug rats running around the house. And so sometimes it's a little crazy, right, Kate? And sometimes she'll be like, hey, babe, would you mind just making the potatoes? And I'm like, hey, I got the call from the bullpen. Derek's in. In the game. And so I go out, and I get my butter, and I get all my seasoning, and I get my milk, and I get out my power tool, which is my drill, which is my hand mixer. And, you know, it's got 10 speeds for a reason. And so I say, why do you need speed one? I just go full blast 10, like, and and I whip it, and I put it all in there, and I get those peaks on the potatoes. You know, it's not too runny. It's not too thick. It's just perfect, like Martha Stewart action. Like, that's how I usually shoot for that in my head in my head, right, babe? Uh, And so then I I take that, and we go over to our dining room, and I don't know if you other women do this, but my wife loves to taste all the food before everybody else tastes it. Like, she wants to be kind of the cupbearer for the family, like, just in case something's not right, she can change it or whatnot. So she begins to taste the, the noodles and the green bean casserole, and she's like, oh, it's so good, and, like, all the kids and I, we're, like, foaming at the mouth, we're like, let us eat, but she's like, no, I want to taste it first. And then she gets to my potatoes, and I'm like, oh, baby, just wait till you hit this clouds of heaven. Like, it's going to be amazing. And she tastes them, and she looks at me, and she's ticked off. She's like, you forgot the salt. And in that moment, I'm like, I had one job to do. (laughs) And total husband fail. I didn't put the salt in the potatoes. Now, this is what's interesting is looking at the potatoes, you never would have known there was no salt in there. Because salt's behind the scenes. Now, what's even more interesting is that in my cupboard, I had all kinds of salt. I mean, I had the the typical table salt right here. I'm making food right here in in the cupboard. Garlic salt. Kitchen salt. Kosher salt. Sea salt. I mean, I had all kinds of salt in the cupboard. But how many of you know salt in the cupboard does nothing for your food if it's not applied to it? I don't even know that if salt's never applied, it doesn't actually live into the purpose that it was created for. See, I think sometimes we, Jesus says, go be the salt of the earth, and we say, I'll be the salt in the cabinet. (laughs) Jesus says, go be the salt in the world, but like, hey, I'll just be the salt in the church. It's safer here. You see, salt, the value of salt, the impact of salt is in the application. It's where it's in contrast to what is, it is flavoring. And so Jesus tells us, all of us that are following him and say, we want to be like you, Jesus. We're following you. We're filled up with the spirit with you. I am the salt of the world, not the salt in the cabinet. We've got to get outside of the church and into a world who is dying, who is thirsty for real living water, hungry for real truth and real identity. And so Jesus says, listen, you're the salt of the world, not the salt in the cabinet. We've got to be careful that we don't become a Christian community that huddles up here on Sunday and we leave here in our Christian bubbles and we go to our Christian bookstores. We have our Christian relationships. We're living separated from those who have spiritual, emotional, and physical needs. Never was the case when Jesus was on this earth. He went to the places that needed salt. He never once said, you know what, I'm just going to hang out here with all the salt. We'll just talk and be salty together. No, Jesus said, you're not the salt in the cabinet, you're the salt of the world. So go and be just that. Let them taste the kingdom of God. And what Jesus also says is that salt can actually lose its taste. If you're an engineer or a scientist, you're like, that's impossible. You can't do that because sodium chloride is a compound that you actually can't break it apart and make it not salt. But that's our understanding. But remember, the context of Jesus' teaching here was in a society where they didn't uh, process salt. They gathered the salt. And their salt was more impure and had other issues. And so when this salt is sitting outside, before they harvest it, the rain comes down, the impurities are there, the dirt's there. It is actually possible before you harvest the salt for the salt to lose its taste. And he says that kind of salt that's lost its taste, that no longer has value, you should take that salt and throw it at least on the walkways because salt on the walkways would help the walkway to be hard enough so that people could walk in it. So that's why he says that, man, if you've lost your salt, like at least throw it out there and have some value. And so Jesus said there's a reason why we want to be different in the world because when I am salt, I offer the world something that it has not experienced before. When I go into my workplace, when I go into my house, if, if I'm not embracing Jesus and who he has made me, then I am just offering the world more of the world, and that is no good for your field. And that's why it says, listen, if you've lost your taste, if you're not different than your neighbor, if you're trying and striving to be like everybody else in this world so you can run down the same highway, then actually your value in your field has drastically lost out. And you're no longer salty, therefore you no longer allow people to experience the kingdom of God. And so you're not valuable to your field. And so I think two questions that we need to ask today, if I recognize today that I am salt, if if I'm a believer of Jesus, then, then I know that I am, then I have to ask this question, where am I being applied? Is it in the context of Christian community, which is important, no question. Community groups, Sunday mornings, it says don't deny gathering together with fellowship. But if that's all I'm doing, if I'm never out in the place that needs salt, then I'm salt that's never applied. And that kind of salt might as well be thrown out. And so am I or where am I being applied? The second question we need to ask ourselves today is do people around me experience the kingdom of God or do they just experience more of the world when they interact with me? Is there a difference in my life when somebody encounters me at work, how I close deals, how I talk, how I gossip or don't gossip? Like, Is there a contrast in me and the guy beside me who doesn't know Jesus? We need to ask this question because what God is inviting us to is a faith-filled life in the world, not in the cabinet. The world is seeking truth and life, and we are the ones whom God has anointed and sent into the fields to co labor with him for the harvest. You are salt. And then he moves on, Jesus does, and gives us just another word picture, this amazing teacher. He says, you are the light of the world. Now, there's some similarities between light and salt. Uh, both salt and light, they do best in the absence of other light and salt. So if I've got salt, or if I have a steak that hasn't been seasoned, when I add seasoning to it, salt, it's going to taste a lot better because it's better when there's none there. Now, now, light's the same way. It is most impactful in a dark room. You see, if he says we're all the light and we show up here on Sunday morning and we all got our lightsabers and we're looking good and we're looking at each other's light, man, your light's pretty big, your light's bright, and we're all here. This is one big lit up room, but it has very little impact see, light is meant to be taken to darkness, just like salt is meant to put on something that doesn't have seasoning. This is the application that we see. Light is meant to be in contrast, but there is a difference between salt and light. Salt is behind the scenes. I may or may not see or recognize the person behind the scenes that's uh, cultivating the kingdom of God in their field, but light, on the other hand, is for all to see. See, Jesus says, you are light, and then he says something interesting. He says, you are actually a, a city on a hill that everybody can see. And he says that a lamp is best when it's placed on a table in a dark room so that it gives light to all of the room. Soul is behind the scenes. Light, though, is in front of all to see. It's doing things, speaking things, not in the quiet of my own home, not in my office, not in the one-on-one, but for all to see, because the desire is that we shine, people see, and God saves. Now I think what we see in Jesus is this balanced life between salt and life, or salt and light. Jesus operated like salt. Remember, he he left his his group of guys, his twelve ragamuffin men, and he went up on the mountain and he prayed, right? That's salt. Praying to the Father, Lord, bring life, let there be healing. He was praying on his own, up in the mountain where nobody else could see. Or his interactions with Nicodemus, when Nicodemus was a religious leader and he was saying, I don't understand this, Jesus. He came at nighttime so nobody else could see him, and he started asking Jesus questions, and so Jesus was being sought. Or or the woman at the well. Remember the adulteress in the middle of the day? She didn't want to be seen by anybody else, but Jesus saw her. And he engaged with her one-on-one. So, not a big hubbub, not in front of everybody, but one-on-one, kind of behind the scenes, Jesus was saw, But not only was Jesus saw, he was also light. He even said, I am the light of the world, right? And we see this in Jesus. He was not only behind the scenes, but he was also in front of others. He taught thousands of people. He healed many, many, many thousands of people. Cast out demons in front of other people. He forgave people in front of other people. He was on display in most on display when he hung on the cross for all to see and for all to bear witness to. See, Jesus is the light of the world. He was living in a way, yes, of salt, but also in front of others. And so today, I want to challenge you, is your life a balance of the two? Because I believe as we see Jesus, he is both, he is both salt and light. He's both behind the scenes and in front of, the world with the intention of others to see his good works so that they can give glory to him. And so we see this in this last verse here. Verse 16, it says, in the same way, let your light shine before others, not hidden, but before others, listen, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is heaven. The reason why you pray over your workplace The reason why you pray over your family, the reason why you hold a Bible study at your work, the reason why you uh, speak life into somebody, the reason why you don't gossip is this, for you to glorify God and for others to see you glorifying God and say, I want to glorify God too. The reason why you've been given a field is that worship can be where worship isn't today. That's what Jesus says. The reason why I'm here is so that those can see and taste and feel and experience the kingdom of God, which allows them to see God, and then they could then worship. That is your role in your field. That there would be worship in your sphere of influence where today there is no worship. That's the reason why we want to be salt and light. Now, you say, Derek, like, that sounds really good. Hypothetically, like, that—that that's a really good sermon. Good job, buddy. Like, good job. Like, But I've got some real anxiety. If I'm being serious, I've got some field fear going on. I'm scared. Like, I don't know what to do. Maybe uh, I don't feel uh, adequate. I haven't read the Bible ten times from cover to cover. Like, what if they ask me about dinosaurs? What do I say? Like, what if I pray and... And what I pray for doesn't happen. And so we allow our fear to dictate what we do in obedience to God. You see, that's the set Satan's plan for you. If there is fear in your life, it's not from God. We know that. Perfect love casts out fear. If you're fearful of the enemy, then you're going to be distracted from what he has called you to. And you're not going to be part of the harvest in your field. And so Satan, what he wants you to do is to be scared to death and not do anything in your field but show up on Sundays and feel like, okay, my, I've appeased my conscience. But Satan wants you to be fearful so that you do nothing. And if he can get you there, he's just going to make you feel so good about yourself. Keep up the same work, Rodney. Just keep it up, buddy. Everything's great. You got everything going on. It works good. Just, just, just don't really step out and do anything. See, that's where a lot of us fall into. We're paralyzed with fear. But I want to give you four encouraging things today. Number one, Jesus chose you, and he doesn't make a mistake. He didn't choose Derek and place me in Brandon's field and say, oh crap, I put Derek in Brandon's field, what's going to happen now? You see, when Jesus called you, he anointed you to be in your field to co-labor with him. He doesn't make mistakes. He believes in you, he trusts you, and he has placed authority and power in your hands to be in the field that Derek is not. Opportunity for the kingdom of God to come. So number one, he chose you and he doesn't make mistakes. Number two, your field is part of the great Co-mission. And the reason why it's co-mission is interesting is that that Jesus never meant for you to go into your field alone. See, the co-mission, Jesus followed up the great commission in Matthew 28. He says, listen, I'm actually never going to leave you. And so when you go into your field to make disciples, I'm going to be with you. Great encouragement because that same spirit that Jesus said is going to be with you is the same spirit that was with him. The same spirit that drove him into the wilderness, the same spirit that empowered him and allowed him to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God, the one that allowed him to heal, set free, the same spirit that raised him up from the dead, has been given to you. Somebody say amen. Amen. And so we don't have to have this fear. We can walk in encouragement that the same spirit that led Jesus is leading us. He's been given fully to us, not in little drips, but fully given to us to be with us. In our field, we are co-labors, on co-mission with God who has offered to partner with us. He doesn't need us, but he's invited us. So we are co-mission. And number three, because of this, the pressure is off of you. So some of you just need to take a deep breath right now. The pressure's off. Listen, what God has called you to do is to partner with him. We're not called to try to bring life to people. We're not called to try to bring about salvation. We're called to partner with God and allow him to breathe life. I can't change your heart. Only God can. And so the pressure is off. I am to be obedient, to follow, and let him do the heavy lifting of salvation, of harvest. And the last thing that I want to encourage you with is this is not a to-do list. This, This is not Jesus saying, okay, go and be salt. Or go and do light. No, he says, listen, you already are salt. You already are light. So now as you go into the world, go and be what you already are. You see, some of your moms, your school's about out, and you're getting ready to have three or four crazy kids in your house, more than you hope for. And you're like, I don't have another ounce of energy to give anything, and yet these little kids are going to be in my house. And you're like, I can't do something else. Here's the good news today is you don't have to do something else. You already are salt and light. And God says, it's not a silo. It's not do this, then, and this. No, he said, be light. Be salt wherever you go. As you go into the world, be just that. It's not another to-do list. It's not another thing to put on your calendar. You are, so be who you are. And so you say, man, Derek, thanks for the encouragement. But, but what do I do next? Like I like the sermons where I have three very specific things to go and do so I can come back next Sunday and I can say I did those three things and so I'm good with myself and give me another three things, pastor. Well, here's the thing. We're not a church that really runs that way. Like we're not a church that believes we need to put piles and piles of things on you to do that maybe God's not calling you to do. And so, of course, I could sit up here and I could say, hey, this is what you should do. Go Monday and do X, Y, and Z because it worked for another guy. And so maybe it'll work for you. But that's just throwing darts at a huge dartboard because maybe that's not what God's doing in your field. And so for me to tell you to do something, uh, man, what if God's not doing that? What if it crashes and burns? And so what I'm telling you as a pastor is I'm not going to give you the little things because what God is doing in your field is not what he's doing in my field. And so to know what I'm supposed to do in my field, it requires, number one, I am connected with God. And you're like, Derek, that's, that's all? <laughs> and how, how do I get connected with God? What's the primary thing we see in scripture? Prayer. Prayer. You say, man, I want to make a difference in my field at home. Pray. I want to make a difference in my workplace. Pray. I want to make a difference in my school. I'm going to college this at the end of the summer, and I want to make a difference, I want to see the kingdom come, then I would say pray. Because when I pray, what happens is I grow in awareness of God, and as I grow in awareness of God, it always leads me to a decision. Will I obey or will I not? Will I trust God, will I join with God, or will I not? And so number one today, you can leave. Here's one go-do. Before you do anything, pray. Ask God, what are you doing in my family Because I want to speak truth what you're doing. What are you doing in my workplace? What are you doing in my job where I'm trying to find a job and I don't know what to do? God, what are you doing? Because I need to know because I want to walk with you. Walk with the spirit of God, which you told me you gave me and I'm walking with. Walk with him. Pray, awareness, and then at that point, he's going to say, hey, this is what I'm doing. At that moment, we have to make a decision. Am I going to trust God or not? A friend of mine that I meet with uh, pretty regularly, uh, we had a similar conversation about two weeks, uh, two I'm sorry, about four months ago, we began meeting, and he was having some things going on that he was like, hey, just want to meet with you, talk some things out on a weekly basis. And one of the things that he had was he was frustrated that uh, he wasn't seeing uh, much uh, of God at his workplace, but he's like, "I I think it's supposed to be something going on, but I'm just not doing it. Like, I'm trying to do these things. And so I challenged him, and exactly how I just challenged you, I said, you know, what if you just started praying more specifically about your workplace? He says, well, yeah, that that might be a good idea, Pastor. (laughs) And so I said, why don't you just go in? You already get to work at 5.30 in the morning. The guy's crazy. And uh, I said, why don't you just get there a little before everybody else, and why don't you just walk around the place and begin to praise God and begin to pray for asking God, what is he doing, and that he would begin to stir up things. And so he started to go to his workplace and begin to pray, very specifically, very strategically. He would literally walk around his workplace before anybody else there, ask God to be present, to ask him what he's doing, to open up doors. Then The next week, he's walking by one of the partner's doors of his office, and the partner says, hey, will you come in here? And he shut the door behind him, and the partner says, way above him, right, he's here, the partner's up here, and the guy's saying he's having some struggles with life things. And then he's saying, I just read this devotional this morning, and I don't understand it, and one not you know, that That same passage was the passage that my friend had read that morning, had already talked to God that morning, had already been blessed by the truth of God, And so when he stepped into the office and the guy said, "I don't understand this," he was able to speak because he had just talked to God about it. He was able to speak truth into this man, this partner, because he had begun to pray. and you say, "Man, that was happenstance." I don't know. He began to pray. A partner opens his door, says, "Hey, I don't understand this. Would you help me?" And he had just studied that same passage and was able to speak truth into that. Two weeks ago, he sent me a text. He was so excited. He said, you know how we've been praying? Yeah. He said, "Uh, I just wanted you to know I just shared the gospel fully with one of my coworkers. And You know what? I was so excited. You know what I didn't ask him? Did that guy accept Christ? You know why? Because that's not his job. His job was to be obedient. He had already laid the salt. He had been the salt. He was doing the unseen, praying for the Lord to move, and then he stepped into that. He was more aware of what was God doing, and then when God said, hey, now, this is the time to step into it, he was obedient to that, and that's what God is asking you to do, to be obedient. Don't try to save the people. Remember, I shine, people see, and God saves. You see, it requires us to have a different perspective of the things we go and do in the world, it requires us to have a kingdom perspective that maybe God wants the kingdom of heaven to break into my workplace. Maybe he wants to save not only one person, but a whole team of people. And my prayer for you is that next time we have our baptism... That in the meantime, you've been salt and light. You've been praying. You've been aware. You've been recognizing God. You've been stepping in. And so next time we have a baptism, you'll be up there saying, I I now, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I baptize you. Because that's not a pastor's job. That's the job of the saints. We're all saints. You are the salt and the light. God wants you to know that. He trusts you. He believes in you. He wants you to live who you already are. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for the truth. Uh, that you've given us in your word, that it, um, it withstands time, that it continues on. Thank you so much that you have not held back your own spirit from us, the spirit that drove Jesus, the spirit that empowered Jesus, that you've given us your Holy Spirit to go into our fields. And so, Lord, right now, whatever you're speaking, whatever you're stirring up in this group of saints here, this group of soul and this group of light, Lord, I ask that you would uh, make it really clear that you would stir faith that you would give them eyes to see and ears to hear what you're doing around them so that we're not just so self-focused, but we'd get our eyes off of ourselves and up on the field that you say is ripe for the harvest. Lord, empower us, equip us, challenge us, encourage us, build our faith, to live out our faith, not just on Sundays, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. We ask for this in your name, Jesus.